They say a lot. So be careful when you shake 'em up, shake 'em up, shake 'em up, shake 'em, shake 'em up, shake 'em up, shake 'em up, shake 'em. They say a lot. When you shake 'em up, shake 'em up, shake 'em up, shake 'em, shake 'em up, shake 'em up, shake 'em up, shake 'em. Yeah, I rolled the dice one time for my folk that died off. Rip the side, they were leading, but they side lost. Let me toss a seven for the ones won't see tomorrow. Catch those chips in for some time. We're back. It's Nevin Brown. It's James Piercy, and it's from downtown. We're all the way. Episode ten, double digits. We did it. We got the double part of the double double. <laughs> this episode is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to kick things off talking about a very, very rich young man named Luka Doncic. Can the Mavericks build a winner around him before his opt out? Then we're going to get into some Pascal Siakam rumors because apparently the Kings, Warriors, and Clippers are enamored with him. It's too bad the team he currently plays for the Raptors are not. Um, after that, we're going to talk about Dennis Schroeder betting on himself. Uh, apparently not the best decision. So pour, pour one out for the homie and probably talk about why it's not so nice to make fun of people losing out on like $80 million. Then we're going to talk about the NBA's 31st team. Yes, expansion is happening. Albuquerque is getting their own team. The Albuquerque Albatrosses, where the worst contracts in the league can be dumped for salary cap purposes. But hey, if a guy starts balling out, starts earning that bread, boom, ship him out to a contender. They say life. So be careful when you shake them up, 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 shake them up. All right, James. I'm sure whoever's listening is already tired of hearing my voice. Come in, save them. What do you think about Luca getting five years, $207 million? Do you think he deserves that type of money? Do you think he's a franchise player? I think there's no question whether that he deserves the money, right? I mean, if, I mean, I always say this because, you know, like people, when they hear about these contracts, non-basketball fans, they always kind of uh, recoil a little bit. But like if, if, if any person could be worth that amount of money to an NBA team, it's Luca, right? Um, like yeah. to criticize the contract amounts, you have to criticize capitalism itself. And the, the framework of that is a little larger than we have time for here at this moment, you know, but assuming that any person ought to make $200 million uh, to play basketball, Luca definitely 100% ought to. Um, I'm really curious and interested to get into the conversation about can the Mavericks uh, build a winner around Luka Doncic and uh, specifically can a heliocentric offense lead to like championship caliber basketball? Uh, so I'm going to kick it back to you and, and you let me know what your thoughts are about that. Okay, well, I'm glad you kicked it back to me. Proves that, you know, you're not a Luca-like ball player. Uh, yeah, Luca loves to set his teammates up. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I'm not just catching and shooting. I'm going to take, I'm gonna take, a, take my <laughs> yeah. time. I'm going to dribble. I'm going to be like, Luca, watch me cook. And he's going to be like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, 
the can the Mavericks build a winner before his opt out? I think I think these questions of like can an NBA team build a championship caliber team before this guy is a free agent? It's like, well, what what have we seen in the past? You can build a championship team if you have one really good player in a day, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it, it just yeah, yes, they can. Um, the the real question is, will they be able to do it? And I think they're staring at a tough situation because Kristaps Porzingis, the guy they brought in to be Luca's number two, he has not lived up to expectations, while at the same time very much lived up to the expectations. And so I kind of want to rewind and have people remember the Porzingis that was there before he hurt his knee in the playoffs against the Clippers in the bubble. That guy could protect the rim. He could stretch the floor. And I think one of the issues is that people don't understand Kristaps Porzingis because he's so tall. He's essentially a seven foot three shooting guard on offense Mm -hmm. who can, when he's fully healthy, protect the rim and do a credible job on the perimeter. So he's like a five on defense, five slash four on defense, and he's a two slash three on offense, which is like kind of what you want next to Luca because it means there's a ton of spacing on offense to let him do his thing. And so when Porzingis was healthy, he was really good. And they had, he had good defensive ratings. The Mavericks offense was just awesome. And then he hurt his knee. And then last season, people kind of soured on him. But this is a guy who went straight from the playoffs to getting knee surgery to coming back in the middle of the season without having like an extended rehab. And people are like, oh, he looks slow. He can't defend the perimeter. I'm like, you know, like, I don't know. The guy hasn't had an off season. He's had two pretty serious knee injuries. Like, I, I think saying he can never get back to that level, we'll find out this year. But I'm expecting a a bounce back on that. And and as long as he just understands that he should never fucking post up because he's horrible at it and has no post moves, like, they'll be fine. And if he's good, all they need to do is then find one other all-star caliber player, and that's a a winner right there. That's that's where I'd like to jump in a little bit. I I completely agree. I think Chris Tapps has has had one of those weird career arcs where – it's like he was kind of flirting with overrated a little bit because he was a star on the Knicks and <laughs> then he had a really bad season and now he's now he's looking underrated and, and I don't know if he's ever been like fairly rated, you know? Um, I also think that Kristaps profiles as like a third star on a championship team, which is totally fine. I mean, that's Chris Bosch, you know what I mean? But, like uh, He's a scrub or... Drew, Drew Holiday, yeah. boo. Yeah, exactly. Or Kyrie right. Irving if the Nets win a championship. Yeah, right. Like, I'm not, I'm not knocking them. I'm not yeah. knocking them. But they're, what they are going to need, I think, is another ball handler, right? Because the, the, the offense is heliocentric as it's currently constructed because Chris Tapps is really more of an elite play finisher. Like, he could pick and pop. He could pick and roll. You look like you might have something to say in, in relation to that. Yeah, no, I just think uh, – can we just define what a heliocentric offense is? Because I'm not sure 
it sounds super cool. We know what we're what we're talking what we're talking about when we say it, but I'm not sure every listener hears heliocentric offense and has any fucking clue what that means. Sure. Or maybe they have a different idea of it. But uh, what's your idea of a heliocentric offense, real quick, just so everyone knows what we're talking about? I guess my idea of a heliocentric offense would be an offense that's built around uh, one player who probably is going to finish the season with a usage rate of what, like over 30, I guess? I would say even greater than 30. Someone who's probably got like 34 to like 38. Like you have to be getting close to 35 or surpass it, I think, to be like truly a heliocentric. Like this is a heliocentric. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's what we're talking about. <clears throat> the, the whole yeah. lot, like basically an offense where one guy is expected to handle a huge percentage of the ball handling and playmaking duties. And uh, the, the, the basic offensive structure is like let him cook, probably with four out spacing. And you can score a ton of baskets that way, but it, it, it's, eminently solvable in the playoffs especially the further you get and, and that's the issue yeah. with it. And, and also i think just to add there's a lot of it is about um the one guy who's at the center of it all people are kind of standing around there's not a lot of off-ball yeah. movement around them it's all about creating like that guy is the gravity that pulls defenses and shifts them and breaks them and everyone else kind of create stands around creating space and waiting for their crumbs <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's funny <clears throat> i mean i watched it as a rockets fan obviously for several years with harden and d'antoni um and it made me think like in a sense uh nba basketball almost overcomplicates, and college basketball certainly overcomplicates basketball in a way like if you have one player that can create offense on that level all you really need is the other four guys to stand around and you could probably win 50 games if those guys can shoot but it's just that the further you get into the playoffs and that's ultimately the goal here, right? It's an NBA championship. Yeah. And, and it, it's just, it's solvable when you're playing like, like good to elite defenses. So this is my, my, my idea with the heliocentric offense and people that are critical of it or think you can't win with it. I think teams don't do it because they want to. I think teams do it because they essentially, they say we have one great offensive player and that's it. And we can create an elite to an elite-ish offense running everything through them. And that's the best way for us to create an offense. And the, the reality is, is that the reason why those teams don't win titles a lot of times is simply because, well, they have one good player on offense. Like, yeah. that's why they're doing it. I think a heliocentric offense isn't something where a coach goes, hey, you know what? Team USA. We have like five all NBA players out here on the court. We're just going to run the offense through one guy. You guys just stand around in space. And maybe that's what it looked like during the Olympics. But if you had those guys for like a full NBA season, it's like, no, like you would use guys because they can do shit, right? It's like, and so I think the whole idea where it's like, is a heliocentric good or a heliocentric offense, is it good or bad? It's, It's more like this it is the best decision for the teams that are using it to generate offense, but that's probably bad for your chances of winning a championship because you're putting so much pressure on one guy. And what have we talked about every single time we've talked about, how do you win a title? 
you need more than one really good player. And I think one of the best examples is if you go look at like, let's just go talk about Michael Jordan because people love talking about Michael Jordan. When the Bulls literally ran everything through Jordan and his usage rates were the highest in the late 80s before they won anything, guess what happened? It didn't win anything. anything, Yeah, yeah, then Scottie Pippen gets a little bit better and the offense gets a little more egalitarian. People say, oh, that's Phil Jackson. No, it's like they just finally had a team where other guys could be useful on offense in a way that they weren't before. They didn't have to run everything through MJ because they had better players around them, essentially. And they stopped having such a heliocentric offense. And so like, that's to me, the whole thing with it is it's like, look, if in four years, the Mavericks are running a heliocentric offense, it's not because like Luca is a douche and wants the ball all the time. It's because there's literally no one else that can have the ball. And for you have efficient offense. And so, so, sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, To to, to pick up on that, like it's, and I, I, just to elaborate on it, it's not strictly about a player's usefulness, I don't think, because, like, Chris Tapps is a super useful offensive player. It's just yeah. that, yeah, he's not a primary creator. He's not a not a ball handler slash playmaker. Like, his floor is elevated by the guys around him. So they're going to need to find their second ball handler, their guy that, that gives Luca a rest. And once they find that, I think we'll see that Chris Tapps uh, really shines, you know? Yeah, no, actually, so – this this is like purely hypothetical and there's no way it'll it'll happen unless something bizarre occurs but you know it'd be fucking perfect for next to uh Christops and luca ben simmons <laughs> like, i mean it would it would make it would just be it would make too much sense yeah, no, it definitely makes some good sense. Man. He kind of bridges the gap between what you need next to Luca and what you need with Kristaps. Yeah. Um, honestly, like, you know, he's not a great shooter, but... That's an understatement. <laughs> he is not a shoot. He does not shoot. I mean, yeah, he actually, yeah, here's yeah. the thing. He actually could be a great shooter. We just have no way... There's no evidence that proves that he's a bad shooter. Just yeah. as there's no evidence that proves that he is a good shooter. Um, so says you miss zero percent of the shots that you don't take. Is what is that's the motivational uh, poster over over his. Uh, yeah, no, it's honestly what's funny with Ben Simmons. It's like his jump shot. It's like it's like people arguing like, does God exist? It's like there's no proof yeah. that God exists. There's no proof that God doesn't exist. That's basically right. Ben Simmons' jump shot. Um, yeah, yeah. If he if it exists, then it should show itself. How about that? Yeah, yeah. And no, I agree with you. I think I, I do really think the Mavericks need someone else that can ease the burden on Luca. But, you know, now that they have to pay him 40 plus million, now that Porzingis is getting, you know, still on 30 million, they're and they don't really have any mm-hmm. real assets. I mean, like Brunson's a good player, but you're not going to get Damian Lillard. I mean, no. honestly. What I think they're what their best avenue might be. It's like if Portland decides to blow it up, maybe like sending out a bunch of picks for like CJ McCollum. Yeah, that's an avenue for sure. I like that avenue. Um, I think that what we might see though, what we might see is maybe they try to play a little more patient. They just extended Luca and just hope that a coaching change and some systemic changes uh, could lead to improvement this year. I just keep holding out for, for free agents. Like they should still have one more max slot. Uh, I think their books are pretty clean after the two top guys. 
so, I think so as well yeah yeah maybe they can afford to slow burn it a little bit and say look this kid's like 23 or whatever uh we probably won't win the championship this year we just need to wait until we can really put the right piece next to him I, yeah, I agree. That's probably what they're going to do, but it's kind of like the Knicks thing where it's like Dallas has, and the Knicks have like perpetually been like ready to sign a big free agent only to have never signed a big free yeah. agent. Um, so like, that would be my only concern if I'm Dallas where it's like, maybe we need to like really think about like, like we got Porzingis through a trade. We need to get one more guy through a trade and like, if we it's like because at the end of the day it's like if you have Porzingis, Luca, and like another player in between those two in terms of ability, and Porzingis is kind of back to what he was pre uh that uh meniscus injury in the in the bubble, that team like can go get guys on the minimum because they're like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna eat, like <laughs> I'm gonna get a bigger deal out of this. Yeah. But because I just I, I I think what I've seen is that like every teams actually will just trade guys pretty easily like all it is i mean james harden just like i want to be traded like he had no actual leverage that's always been like i'm gonna be a douche like i'm not gonna try that hard i think that's what it, it's funny guys have realized it it's, it's it's kind of broken the system a little bit in in a sense and i actually kind of like it in some ways but yeah it's like all right well i'm on contract for four more years but like the thing is, is that contract runs both ways. You had to pay me, so I can sit at home. I can wear a fat suit to practice. I can throw a ball in Jason Tate's face and practice, even though he's a scrappy young rookie just finally getting a chance in the league. You know, like uh, what whatever it takes to get me out of here. And it, it, I can understand it. These guys just want to choose where they live and who they play with. Yeah, and also the other thing is, is that as much as people give organizations crap for not winning titles people give individual great players who are like one of like the greatest at their profession ever an insane amount of grief for not winning. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like, that's to me, like the reason why organizations owe it to these guys, if they can't win a championship and they're at that stage where it's like, yo, I have like three or four more years to get this done. Like, I'm sorry. It didn't work out. Like, that's kind of how I feel. It's like the damn situation. I, I I just feel like the, it's a business. Bottom line, I don't blame players for leaving. I don't blame teams for shipping players. Like to me, it's like everybody has to accept. Like you might get traded, or I might not resign here, and it, it's it's gonna be relevant to what each party's interests are in the moment. So be careful when you shake them up, 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 shake them up. All right, I want to move off of talking about. Luka Doncic, the Dallas Mavericks, and oh, I will regret not being able to continue to say heliocentric offense because the next person I'm bringing <laughs> up, Pascal Siakam, no one will be doing that with him. <laughs> um, so Siakam, some of the rumors out there are that the Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Clippers, apparently the only teams in California, are reportedly enamored with him. So three teams, three questions. Here are my three questions. Who needs them most? Who can offer the best package? And who's most likely to get this deal done out of the three? I personally don't see him going to these three teams as very likely, but if you had to choose between the three, which one's most likely to get it done? 
Okay, so they're the one that's most likely to get it done. And I agree with you that I, I don't necessarily see him going to any of these three teams either. Um, but the team that's most likely to get it done, which is the same as the team with the best package, is probably the Warriors, in my opinion. Okay. Um, here's, here's where it stands to me with the Warriors, where it's a little complicated. It's like, they have the pieces to put a package together that the Raptors couldn't refuse. Like, if they threw Wiseman, Kuminga, Moody uh Wiggins and two future first round picks or something at them it's like how can the Raptors say no we value Pascal Siakam more than all that but how could you value how could you give up how could you like Pascal Siakam that much yeah but so then as it stands it's like okay well on the other hand Wiseman and Wiggins probably isn't enough for Pascal like the Warriors have so many uh, combinations of packages they could put together. I'm, I'm just yeah. not sure what they would be willing to offer. You know, um, I just want to clue my thoughts up by saying I, I don't think the Clippers have anything resembling a package to, to acquire Pascal Siakam. And have you heard of Paul George? What yeah, about Kawhi Leonard? That? No, <laughs> right, okay, all right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Outside of those two guys, they have nothing. They have a bunch of vets on, like, slightly overpriced contracts. Uh, maybe Terrence Mann and change, but like I, I don't think the Raptors are going to go for that. Well, actually, you know who'd be interesting um, would be Ivakia Zubac, who I know the Raptors have been interested, or they're interested reportedly in Jared Allen, and so it sounds like they're interested in like a more traditional like center. Zubac big- is a, is good. He's he's cheap. He probably won't be cheap for long. Um, he's either got one more year. I think he's got one more year left on his deal. That's true. I don't know if the Clippers could offer you anything that you would want. Who needs them most? Yeah, man. I mean, part like that, that one I'm a little bit torn on. Uh, part of me wants to say the Clippers because they are contending and they're probably a piece short. And if they could somehow work out a three-team miracle to, to get them, you know, then yeah. uh, they could be – they're pretty fucking scary in 2022 all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, but then part of me wants to say Sacramento because they're on the verge of like a historic playoff drought and they could stand to upgrade. And, but like, I hate, there's a, there's a concept for it. It's like, uh, so I guess it's like a sunk cost fallacy a little bit. Right. Yeah. To say that the Kings, uh, should acquire Pascal because they haven't made the playoffs for like 50 years in a row or whatever. It's like, well, I don't know if that means that you should be just aiming to make the eight seed at whatever cost next year. Right. Like, you still need to build your team from the same principles that teams build teams. Like you have a bad NBA basketball team. You have to fix that in a long-term way, not just clamor to, to, to scrape into an eight seed because you haven't made the playoffs in a long time. So I'm not really sure if they need Pascal or not, but if that's their thinking, I, I guess they do. I think from a basketball fit perspective, I a hundred percent agree on the Kings. I think they're a team that's desperately needs wing defense. But I actually think the team that needs him the most are the Clippers. And the one reason is, is this, is that Kawhi Leonard is the greatest two-way player in the league, but he just tore his ACL. Asking him to be that player is a lot with his injury history. And I think that Siakam can do a lot of the same things he can do on defense. And so what that allows you to do is it allows you to be like, Hey, like Kawhi focus on offense, get your buckets, you know, 
You're still going to be a good defensive player, but it eases his two-way burden. And also the last time Siakam played with Kawhi, like maybe just like those two guys like have a chemistry or maybe their skill sets mesh really well. Cause like his best, the reason he has this contract is because what he did in that one season with Kawhi. So I think they would be, I mean, and just, I don't even like, like how could you say no to having Paul George, PG, Calhide Leonard and Pascal Siakam, just like that combination of guys. I mean, talk about like the best perimeter defense ever. Yeah. Like, like legitimately would maybe be the best perimeter defense ever. I know Paul George and Kawhi are older and I think, I think Paul George a little bit is living on reputation, but we're talking about like three guys who are above average perimeter defenders. Significantly. And probably yeah. can lock down in the, in the playoffs and stuff too. And, and they probably force multipliers together, right? Like being next to a good defensive player makes you even better at defense. Yes. Yes. And I think um, that would be, that would be something really scary. Another thing I like about Pascal to the Clippers, I will say, is I have been on a soapbox about this since Kawhi and Paul George came together, is I don't love the pairing of those two players. I feel like they're like arguably the very two most similar star players in the NBA. I don't like how the Clippers chose to double down on a skill set. I feel like they like to get to the same spots on offense and stuff. I thought the Lakers did a better job with getting two very diverse players in LeBron and AD where they can attack you in multiple ways. So Pascal would give them a wrinkle that I think they're lacking a little bit. You know, I haven't ever really heard people bring up that, like, obviously people are like, they have similar skill sets, but it's like a skill set where people are like having two guys that are elite at that is like what you want. Um, That's an interesting idea. I don't know. I mean, personally, anyone that's really good isolation scoring and anyone that's really good at one-on-one defense if you have two of those guys like that seems like a good idea I think one of the things that we've seen is that if you don't have a true facilitator yeah as one of your best players you can end up running into some problems I think that's what happened with the Clippers and maybe that's the issue is that it's like they haven't done a good job of finding a real facilitator that fits there that, that speaks to what I'm saying. And let me clarify, like, of course on defense, it's a positive that they're both elite defenders. Yeah. I mean, like you, you want 14 elite defenders if you can have them, but offensively, I just think they, they get to the same spots. They score in similar ways. And exactly what you're saying, neither of them is really a facilitator. So uh, I think the offense gets a little stale when they share the floor. Sometimes I think we've seen that, you know, you know, that's an interesting take. I haven't heard that take and I like that. Um, and I don't, I don't know from a basketball perspective, how you fix that? Is it just that like these two guys, no matter who's on the court, they have some redundancy and you don't get the the maximum out of them uh, both? Or is it like you put someone in there like shit, like a Ricky Rubio, like even if he can't score unless or he's John playing Wall. against, or John Wall. I actually am uh, about to get up uh, three trades of John Wall to the Clippers. Um, all of them are bad trades um, for both teams because, you know, <laughs> John yeah. Wall, we, you, yeah. someone, you might be hearing John Wall's name again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you just put like a facilitator in between and like all of a sudden everything works. It's like, okay, that's all they are missing. Or it's like, even if you bring someone in there that can really do that and it still seems a little like you still crunch time. You're like, what's going on here? 
maybe they're not a great fit, but you know, they're going to be locked into those two guys very quickly before we move on. I actually think that the Kings can offer a really, really, really good package for Siakam, yes. even if they don't include De'Aaron Fox. A deal built around Marvin Bagley, Tyrese Halliburton, and some Kings picks. It's a pretty appealing trade package. And I mean, obviously, I just think I think I'd rather have if from like a sure thing standpoint, I'd rather have those two guys than Weissman and Kaminga. I mean, there's more upside with those guys potentially, but there's they neither of them proven anything in the NBA at this point. I'll say sure. that. And you know who's the most likely of these teams to get this deal done? I think it's the Kings because I think you're right about them feeling pressure to make the playoffs. I just think that like their last two draft picks, who they get, college guys that people are like are the most NBA ready. I think they're a team that wants to make the playoffs. I think that's all that matters because like at this point, it's like when you're on the cusp of history, it doesn't matter. It doesn't like, even if it's like not the right way to be trying to like build long-term success, they're like, yo, we haven't been building long-term success for the last 15 fucking seasons. That's why we haven't made the playoffs. That's yeah. You know, it's like, like, let's just do one thing right once. That give is our fair. fans yeah. something to cheer about. And like, they're still basically their future is still tied to is De'Aaron Fox going to live up to the contract we gave him? Like there's some indications that maybe he will, but there's also like the chance that his like his three point shot never is quite good enough. And his defense just is bad to the point where he's just a, like a 25 points per game guy that you can't really win a ton of games with because he's a liability defensively. Speaking of point guards, Dennis Schroeder. So Dennis Schroeder, let's go. Let's talk about the sad story that is Dennis Schroeder. So be careful when you shake them up, 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 shake them up. One of the, you know, Germany's famous for its horrifying fairy tales. And the story of little Dennis Schroeder is definitely one of the most horrifying fairy tales about never believing in yourself. Don't yeah. do it. You end up in ruin. Um, there must be so many German fairy tales about somebody who got too greedy and they ended up getting eaten because of that or something, yes, right? Yes, like, this is, yeah, it's the story of Dennis Schroeder. Um, yeah. So anyways, the, the Lakers offered him four years, 84 million in the season for an extension. He said, nah, I'm betting nope. on myself. Well, that bet paid off today when he signed for, drum roll please, one year, five point something million. I think it's 5.9, might be 5.4. Can't big, big fat mid-level exception is. Uh, yeah, is what he didn't even get the full mid-level exception. Uh, so, so yes, sad story. Do you have anything you want to say about Mr. Dennis Schroeder? Because I know like he's making a lot of money compared to the average person, but still, yeah, I mean. But still, um, yeah. I'll say this. It's, it's obviously now it's, a, it's another prove-it deal for, for Schroeder, right? And uh, I think he could be an excellent fit in Boston if he will adjust his game a touch 
to distribute a little more and try to finish at the rim, which he's really good at, a little less. Uh, I would like to see a little more dish in his driving dish this year. I think that he's a, an attacking point guard, which Kemba never really was for them. And that's a great fit alongside Brown and Tatum, who both like to operate from the perimeter. So I think he's got an opportunity. Uh, and if, if he can adjust his game to what Boston needs and they can be successful, um, he could parlay this into, into a, the big contract that he wants yet. But it's pretty sad, man. I mean, it, it, it really didn't work out the way he hoped. Uh, can't remember the last time a guy bet on themselves and, and came up so short uh, in a long time. And I, and I also agree with you that it's not nice to like make fun of the guy, just some kid from Germany that loves basketball, thought he was worth 80 million and he's worth five, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the, the people out there that are laughing at Dennis Schroeder, I want you to stop and remember, you probably won't make 5.9 million over the course of your life. And this guy's getting yeah. in one year. So like, I know people don't like the, oh, well, don't, don't do the, like, he makes more money than you thing. That's not nice. Okay. Well then don't make fun of someone for losing almost $80 million. Um, Cause that's not nice. It's like the same thing. So don't be yeah. that person. Um, second, if we're going to talk about from the Celtics point of view, like we, we actually asked what the fuck were the Celtics doing? This was not part of their plans, but they capitalized. And this is a great decision on their part. It's like, look, even if Schroeder doesn't work out for 5.9 million, that's a guy or 5.4 million, whatever it is under 6 million. He's a guy you take this gamble on. And I think that's a hundred percent great decision on their part. I do want to bring up something that I think people overlook and it's because we're basketball nerds and we bring up the whole, like the problem with the structure, the structure of the NBA makes it so a player of Dennis Schroeder's quality doesn't get a real contract that measures up to his ability is a serious flaw, I think in the system. And I know you like the salary cap, but one of the reasons why I don't like the salary cap is that a guy like Dennis Schroeder could help a lot of teams get paid at a rate that like is commensurate with his ability, but they cannot do it because of the salary cap. And like that to me really kind of sucks because it's like, Hey, like this dude could go make the golden state warriors, maybe championship favorites, but they literally can't go get him. There's like the rules make it so they can't. And then there's the other issue that I have with the system is that because losing is not punished in any real tangible way, it means a team that's bad is like, why the fuck do we want Dennis Schroeder? He'll make us better. Like, we don't want to be better. We want to be as bad as possible. And so these guys that are good players, but not great players, end up getting stuck in this kind of wasteland yeah. where they just kind of have to hope that they become a free agent at the right time when the right teams have cap space. And it just sucks because Dennis Schroeder, sure, was it dumb for him to turn down that $84 million uh, extension? Probably not, actually. Like, he's probably worth a little bit more than $21 million. It's just the way everything broke, no one that needed him could pay him that. Yeah. So let me touch on some of that. I don't, I don't disagree with anything you said necessarily. One thing I do firmly believe is the problem with uh, critiquing systems and saying that other systems should be in place of them is that those other systems likely lend themselves 
to flaws too, right? There, there, there's always a way to exploit whatever the system that exists is. This is why I don't think any political system works. And you know, this is why I, so I, you're I don't- an anarchist? Or is an anarchy no. technically a political system? Exactly, I don't think anarchy would work either. So uh, I, I'm just a, a, a nihilist, I guess. But uh, what I would say in regards to the NBA is um, if you abolish the salary cap, the way the league is trending, in my opinion, we're going to eventually see fucking the top six players in the NBA all on the same team and then win a championship for 15 years in a row, right? Like, I like I, I, I actually think it would break the league. It would not. And you want to know why it wouldn't break the league? You go, you go hop over the pond and you look at Europe and you see European soccer leagues over the past 20 years pre-pandemic incredible, explosive, unrestricted growth in those leagues. Guess what they have? They have no salary cap. Some of them sort of have salary caps, but they're a little bit different. They're like tied to like the actual franchise's like revenue. So it's like you make a ton of money because you're the Lakers, you can spend more, right? But you've seen this massive growth. And basically the issue actually is you don't have these always these super long running dynasties of like the super wealthy teams because they can do the thing where they spend so much money that they reach financial ruin. And like that to me would be like, imagine the Lakers being like, we're going for it. We're going to push in all of our chips to win a championship. We don't care. And like five years down the line, the Lakers file for bankruptcy and like they're one of the worst teams in the league. Um, like that would be, that would be amazing. Um, but like at the same time, it's like people actually love lack of parity. Like, yeah, how people love like who the fuck? No one actually likes parity. Does anyone go talk to you about, hey, man, remember in the 70s when the NBA, there is always these different champions and there is the ABA like basketball is so much better. Poorly remembered uh, decade. You're so right. Yeah. yeah. People they're like, they go, yeah, it's like the NBA goes from like Russell Celtics to lakers and celtics in the 80s like decade-long dynasties and then oh the bulls six championships they would have won eight in a row if jordan never tried like people actually don't like parody and i get it you want to see the best of the you want to see crazy stuff and so like for me i think the whole the, the whole salary cap stuff to me is just a way to protect owners from fucking up i, I like measures because I, I know that you, you you're somewhat against the lottery too Oh, I hate the lottery. I hate the draft. It's it's the most bullshit thing in the history of the world. I like it, man. Because I, I, I otherwise, here's what I always think. If you're going to remove those measures, like the salary cap and the lottery, then you got to cut 20 teams, man. There's no point in the Memphis Grizzlies existing, right? There's no point in the Indiana Pacers existing. I'm not even sure the Rockets should make the cut. Like ooh, 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 yeah. The Rockets have like, they've been like a super successful franchise. Like they're one of the most successful oh, franchises yeah. of the last 30 years. Hell yeah, but um, if there's no salary cap and no lottery, are, are we sure? Like, like okay, I guess you wouldn't cut them, but the Rockets can count on no championships ever because the, the Lakers, Nets, Clippers are going to no. take them all in, in, in no, that see, world. This is, this, is, this is the thing. People say this, and I go, okay, 
guess what can happen in, in, in these, in this world where like, you don't have all of these measures for parity. The measures aren't actually for parity. They're to guarantee owners to basically not have losses. That's what they actually exist for. They say it's for parity to get the average man mad at, you know, these millionaires. So these billionaires can make sure they can keep making money. Yeah. The main thing is, is that it's like people like, Oh, well, what do you do? Guess what? There are these teams that just you scout really well, you develop really well. And guess what? Because you do that, you have really good players, right? Like, and get at the end of the day, having good players is what matters, right? Oh, everyone wants to go to the Lakers. Well, you know what? If a team scouts and develops a kid from the time they're 16, they turn to an all NBA player because they're with the Memphis Grizzlies. Like they're going to feel more connected to the Memphis Grizzlies than if the Grizzlies were like, Hey, we drafted you and you had to be here, like no choice in it. Like you, when you give people agency and where they end up going, they actually have more of a connection with. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And so I just, I think the whole thing is this, look, I go look at the most popular sport in the world in these leagues that generate untold amounts of revenue and they don't have salary caps. They don't have drafts. And yes, the traditional teams tend to be better, but that means like when one of the non-traditional teams does really well, it's super exciting for the fan base and it feels really good. And at the end of the day, the dirty secret is the NBA wants the fucking Lakers in the championship as many years as they possibly can have because they generate the most interest. Like it benefits, it, there is no downside to screwing over small markets because small markets actually don't move the needle for anyone but that market. And guess what? Sometimes you get lucky with the Giannis. Yeah, because, okay, I know what you're saying from a business perspective, that makes total sense. But don't you think on some level, it's just better for like America or something if like smaller places have NBA teams too and like, like, I don't know. I just like that Oklahoma City's got a team that sometimes is really competitive. Miami, I like, just think Miami, three championships since the 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 new millennium, right? Miami's yeah, that's like a small not but desirable market though. Okay, like why can't you know a market become more desirable, right? Like people go like, like here's my point. People act like the Golden State Warriors have always been this destination market. They became a destination market. They got good ownership. They built good facilities. They built an awesome arena. They drafted really well, and they turned themselves into something great. Yeah, they're in a good geographic region to be attractive, but, like, they they did all of those things. Also, like, why do we care about these small markets? Like, legitimately, from, like, like what, what do those – we don't – no one owes anything to those people to have a professional – NBA quality basketball team, right? Yeah. Like no one in Cincinnati is like, man, I'm so pissed we don't have an NBA team. Maybe they wish they did. They just, because it's all televised and you can watch any team at any time from any place. It's like this notion that these markets need it to me is just, it's it's ludicrous. And it's like, it's, it's basic. Look, everything is rooted in making sure billionaires make as much money as possible. And they throw all these other reasons and all these other bullshit out there that the fans start eating up. But at the end of the day, all of the measures are about it. Like player empowerment literally exists because the owners were like, shit, we're really bad at this. And we keep giving bad players six year contracts that give paying them 25 million a season. Like, 
We got to make sure we can't do that. We made a rule so we can't do that. We can't fuck ourselves over ever again. And the players are like, oh, cool, shorter contracts. I have more leverage. I can demand trades. I can pretend I'm going to go sign with another team unless you spend money. And they're like, oh, we got we to gotta stop this stuff. This is horrible. We need to, like, change this. Because it, it's, it's all about their bread. Like, all these owners get into it for their own bread. And it's everything they say is bullshit. It's about their bread. I'll tell you what, man. I think we should wrap this, this one up a little. But I'm going to yeah. say this. I'm going to say this. I think if I was an outsider looking at this conversation, I would feel like you won the debate, but I still want a salary cap and a lottery system. Uh, you weren't able to convince me, but I, I will concede that you made better points. Hey man, it's all good. It's all good. And the thing <laughs> is with the, the, the thing is it's like the whole salary cap and the, the draft stuff and all that. It's like, I think it's really fun to analyze the sport through those lenses and it kind of creates cool. I like wrinkles. that too. That is another aspect. I think it. it's, it adds like puzzle components to it. And from like an entertainment and content standpoint, I think they're good. I just think from a like human being should be able to work where the fuck they want. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Know. Fair enough. No, you're right. That is one, but that is one aspect of it that I, that, that I also really enjoy. Like even just the, the, the randomness of the, lottery you know and, and like uh it makes for entertainment like again as a rockets fan uh my team could have picked 18th this year or they could have picked first this year so oh, when it came yeah. out second overall dude that's the best feeling i've gotten from the rockets since 2017 you know so like it, it, it's it's it, it's fun for fan bases too but i see your points uh big time they say life. So be careful when you shake them up, 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 shake Okay, speaking of owners trying to protect their bread, this is the 31st team. And as we know, when you add teams, because it's all about the owners making money, there's that expansion fee. And while I said small markets don't deserve teams, Albuquerque, I think that's New Mexico. Yeah, Albuquerque, New Mexico, they do deserve a team small market and all the albuquerque albatrosses where nba owners can dump the worst contracts in the nba this is the only team that doesn't have to play by the salary cap rules <laughs> actually that would be kind of amazing if they just created a team where like the sole purpose was to basically like it was the league's bad contract dumping ground that would be, would be hilarious that would be hilarious and that's what this is the Albuquerque yeah. albatrosses because alliteration is the most powerful force in the English language. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's break down the Albuquerque albatrosses starting lineup. And then we're going to go into some of their bench pieces. And you might disagree somewhat with uh, some of these albatross contracts, but by and large, I think this is what most people would consider to be the worst deals in the sport. So yeah. Let, if I may, let, let us, yeah. Sorry, let us know on Twitter if, if you uh, if you hear this, if you've listened this far, and, and and you decide that we've misidentified the worst contracts in the league. You know, we 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 love the engagement. Uh, yes. Without further ado, let's let's launch the uh, most expensive fifty-five win team in the NBA. Honestly, this team this team might win fifty-five games. <laughs> that is true. Uh, I wanted to talk about that. Like, how good do you think this team is? And probably pretty good. So let, let's, I mean, let's look. You can't get a bad contract being a bad player. Like, that's the reality. That's a fact. That's right. Yeah. 
Okay, so walking the ball up the court, I think we both can agree, starting point guard, because this man will definitely be walking it up at this stage of his career. Starting point guard <laughs> for the Albuquerque, the Albuquerque Albatrosses, none other than John Wall. John Wall. Oh, yep. man. I mean, th- Two- this is the worst contract in the NBA, isn't it? Like, it, it's the worst contract in the NBA. I, I defy you to tell me how it isn't. I, I would say the only way it's not the worst contract is he's only it's only two more seasons, thank God. Yeah. Um, but, okay, it, I, bit, I, I, but it's still the worst. No, I agree. It has to be the worst. Especially if he has a player a option. Maybe he yeah. opts out. Maybe he opts out of 47 million. So what, one thing people don't, might not know is that John Wall is scheduled, I think, to be like the highest paid player in the league next year if he opts in. Um, yeah, I maybe, think you're right. Maybe not with like one of with the Curry extension potentially, but oh, yeah, because I think even but I think he's gonna be making more than Durant. But John Wall has been one of like the f- top five highest paid players, I think top three highest paid players in the league the last like two, three seasons. And if anyone knows anything about John Wall, he's not one of the top two or three best he's players so in the NBA. Um he's a sad story in that really injuries did him in and but at the end of the day, he never would have deserved this contract. No. And, no. and I remember, this is, a, this is an interesting story, I guess. I remember I was in a car with my friends and we were going to a bowling alley. And I remember when the news broke that John Wall had got the extension. And we're all, you know, DM, we're all from the DMV. So we're like, oh, like the, they're like, yes, like we got John Wall. And I just remember going, no. And they're like, what, man? I'm like, we just signed John Wall to a four-year extension. And their response was like, are you fucking nuts? That's great news. Why are you saying no? I was like, no, dude. Like, he's got two more years before he's a free agent. You don't need to do this. I was like, anything can happen. You don't know. And I was like, the amount of money they're giving him is insane. He's not one of, like, the five best players in the league. They're like, dude, we have John Wall now for six years. That's amazing. You were right. You were definitely right. I know. I know. I also outbold them. So, you know, better it's bowler, funny. better basketball analysis. What can't <laughs> I do? Yeah, nothing but <laughs> that day, man. Uh, let, let, I'll tell you, I always really admired his game uh, when he was with Washington. I always oh, thought yeah. he was a killer that wanted to win and a really high IQ passer um, and just like one of the more athletically gifted point guards in the league. Like, uh, and that combination of athleticism and IQ will typically carry you really far. But he just was never, like, he could never shoot it that great. And without that three-point shooting, he was never really able to crack, like, the top ten player discussion, like, yeah. in a serious way, right? And then once the injuries bit him, I mean, now he's not, he's probably not a top 40 player, right? So, like. Oh, no, no, he's not. I no, mean, he's not even this, close, is he? I mean. I, mean he could, I, I could see him if he stays healthy this year and he, he has a bit more of a bounce back because people forget he missed two straight seasons and then he had to play in a, a very condensed environment, which someone coming off those injuries like is, is not going to be easy on their body. He has a chance to maybe get into like that top 40 range, but I'm not yeah, optimistic. Please. And I think yeah. the Rockets might be stuck with him. And I wouldn't even buy him out because like I wouldn't want to stretch that money out no, any longer. Uh- what, what, what I suspect is going to happen with the contract and, and with him and the Rockets is I, I think come all-star break, they'll sit him out all uh, Al Horford and say like, like take an early vacation, 
Uh, we're going to run with KPJ at the point full time and then maybe buy him out in the, in the 2022 off season, or maybe if he's good enough for the first half of the year, they can find a trade, you know, yeah. um, I think that's I, the thing I, I'd be banking on. I think he's got another half season left with the Rockets one way or the other, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we could certainly agree that his contract is not going to match his production. It's, it would be if it does, man. The Rockets literally might win the championship. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Those things are equally far fetched. Yeah. Okay. So now that we have our starting point guard, John Wall, out there. Who's going to be playing the two next to him? We got uh, Clay Thompson at three years, one hundred twenty million dollars remaining on the contract. Um, this one I find kind of hurts, you know, because Clay is an excellent player. But the reality is, at his is, age... Is he? That's the well, thing. Was, I guess, is really the better word, isn't it? And that's the problem. At his age and injury history, uh, we can't be sure that he's ever going to get back to 100%. It's actually probably more likely that he won't. And, uh, you know, three years, $120 million, he's a massive gamble at this point. Yeah, so I think the last guy to have an Achilles and ACL tear back-to-back was DeMarcus Cousins uh-huh. and look where he's at now. Yeah. I, it's just, I, here's the thing. Clay Thompson could come back and we could look like idiots for having him on this list. I hope so. And like, I kind of, I, I, I agree with you. I hope so. But like, to me, it's like the dude hasn't played in two years because he's had probably the two worst basketball injuries you could have outside of like having an amputation, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. You know, like outside of becoming an amputee, I can't imagine anything worse than an Achilles and ACL injury. And, you know, part of what made him special was his defense. He'll probably still be a pretty good shooter, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping he gets off. I'm hoping he gets traded out from the Albuquerque albatrosses, but right now he's got the two guard locked down. And the thing is, he's probably still going to be an okay offensive player. Um, but yeah. All right. Starting small forward for the Albuquerque Albatrosses. Someone we've mentioned before. None other than Pascal Siakam. And this one I don't, I think this one's the there's the most debate over. And we, you know, as the coaches of the Albuquerque Albatrosses, we were we were really thinking like, should we have Andrew Wiggins play the three? Should we have Tobias Harris in there? Man, maybe should we even bring in Gary Harris? Should we go really small and have Eric Gordon play? Um, yeah, those are all options for sure. Yeah, and so yeah. this one's tough just because Siakam, he, the reason I think he gets in this list is that he's on for three years and 100 million. And that's, that's a pretty big commitment. And he's just not quite the player that he was when Kawhi was there he's like a third or fourth option on offense and when you pay a guy 100 million over three years like 30 plus million a season you kind of need him to be able to be at least a third option on offense and while he's good defensively he's not elite elite and so yeah he's someone that could maybe get off this list but like ooh, there's a reason the Raptors want to trade him yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it's a lot of money for this guy. I, I want to say this about him quickly. Like, um, all the criticisms that Giannis Antetokounmpo frequently gets, you can actually apply to Pascal, like, 
twofold, man, because he doesn't have the same athletic gifts. He's athletically gifted, but he doesn't have the same gifts. And you want to talk about not having a bag. Like Pascal Siakam does not have a bag, man. He goes to that spin move over and over again. Um, he doesn't have moves. His jumper is like wonky and it never surprises me when he doesn't shoot a good percentage. Like I, I, he's, I don't mean to dump all over him. He had one excellent season, but uh, I, I'm not all that optimistic that he won't continue trending negatively. And I, I think that that contract was a little bit reactionary and yeah, it's an overpay. And that, that's why he's starting at the three for, for the albatrosses. I, I love how you're like, I don't mean to dump on him. We already put him on the albatrosses. Like, <laughs> yeah, this whole exercise. I don't mean to continue to shit on this guy that yeah. I put on one of the worst, co- the, the starting small forward for worst contracts in the league. That's okay. Right. <laughs> now let's enter the world of the front court. Yeah. Our starting power forward, sadly, is Kevin Love. Yeah. Anybody listening along that knows the NBA, already knew what you were about to say probably yes i have kevin love down here at three years and 60 million but i think that's wrong i I think think i'm wrong about that so i'm gonna go double it might be i think it should be 90 million yeah actually yeah i think so um the one thing saving him is yeah it's it should be 90 million that's my bad um sorry everyone that had to listen to me do that (laughs) edit on the So the one thing in Kevin Love's favor as a contract asset is that his salaries are actually not ascending. They're descending. Yeah. So by the final year, it's 28 million. Now I still think, I still think unfortunately Kevin Love is washed and he's a, he's an interesting player to me because he was a beast in Minnesota and then he goes to the Cavaliers where he gets like his first mainstream exposure because he's with LeBron and he wins. And he kind of has a rough go of it because LeBron said, I want my team to trade for you. And now I want you to stop playing the way you played to make yeah. me want to trade for you. And he kind of had to like suck it up and change his game on the fly. And most people think of him as like a stretch four. But when he was at his peak in Minnesota, he was a low block monster who could yeah. shoot three and like a passing and, so, and he did a lot of yeah things. he was a really good player and it's sad that his body's broken down and his reputation is in tatters yeah but yeah i want to add one thing uh to that which is that you're so right that he had to change he was supposed to be uh the cleveland lebron's bosch but i mean the difference is really that bosch was uh like an upper echelon defensive player and love has always been pretty much a poor defensive player uh, yeah. but he did a great job adjusting. They obviously won a championship, and he's had a really good career. But he he is he's all the way washed. I think like it just he, he can't hard he can hardly even play anymore. You know. I know it's it's that. I mean, I hope he gets healthy, and some dumb team gets him out of Cleveland. Because if you're gonna be washed, like at least be washed near a beach or or, yeah right yeah (laughs) (laughs) like yeah that's how i feel okay and you know the next the next guy on the albuquerque albatrosses and you know it was amazing there's not that many bad center contracts that's because centers don't get contracts anymore i think i know know? i 100 agree but there's there's not as many as i was expecting 
And our mm-hmm. starting center is none other than Stephen Adams, the pride of New Zealand. And I, I think, you know, honestly, of all these contracts, this is the least bad. It's two years and 35 million. Um, <laughs> you know, Adams, solid player. He was quite bad with the Pelicans, but the season before with the Oklahoma city where he had like, you know, a real coach and he had, or maybe not a real coach. He had a, a, an environment that suited him much better. He had a, a good season. So he's someone I could see bouncing back to the point where it's like, it's not, no one's like, yeah, I, I want to pay him 17 and a half million, but like, that's not like horrible. Like he's worth yeah. that sort of. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's, I, I like that you brought up the center market in, in a more general way, because th- that's exactly it. It's like guys that don't stretch or defend the perimeter just don't get paid anymore. And he's one of the few exceptions to that rule, right? Uh, yeah. And that's why it's an albatross is because it's like, well, you're paying this guy and he's taking up a roster spot at, at that contract and he can't do the things that you kind of look for in a modern NBA big or, or just player in general, right? Yeah. Um, he's he is a, he's a nice utility player like he 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 does all the dirty work and 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 he sets the hardest screens in the league possibly and you know like he's a nice role player uh yes. it's just too much money for him yeah i mean honestly david griffin or griffith or whatever the fuck his name is i don't even want to learn his name that dude <laughs> is living off of lebron i'm sorry the fact yeah, that the dude know. has a he's bet dunce He's done such a shit job as the GM of the Pelicans that the fact that he still has a job blows my mind. Like, I, I think he got a little unlucky just that, like, he didn't realize the timeline was going to be so accelerated with Zion. Yes. But, like, they traded um, Drew Holiday and got Eric Bledsoe and a bunch of probably bad draft picks. Like, horrible like they traded anthony davis and pretty much they got like a decent i guess the anthony davis package was fine he's walking to a situation where he has lonzo ball zion williamson and brandon ingram like three guys you can build a good roster around and you have drew holiday on that team like if you just keep that team together you are a playoff team yep and it's like i don't know i think he tried to sometimes when people try to play chess they unbeknown unknowingly start playing three-dimensional chess and have no idea what the fuck's going on yeah and that's kind of what happened to him i saw somebody say that differently recently okay they said sometimes when you try to be the smartest guy in the room you just end up overthinking everything right same same concept yeah um because man i think it's just it's so readily obvious to like the entire nba watching world that you need to put zion with a stretch five but for some reason, they just refuse to do it. Like, like no, we're going to double down on interior defense with, with Steven Adams and, and bring in a coach that doesn't like floor spacing. And like, But let's finish out uh, rounding out the Albuquerque Albatross roster. So on yeah. the bench, we have Russell Westbrook, who basically is on the John Wall contract. And while he's not as bad as John Wall, it's just if you make that type of money, you really have to be one of the 10 best players in the league to justify it and he's he's not at this stage of his career so and because of the season he had or the second half he had with the wizards he he got out of he got out of the starting point guard spot because there is a chance this is better than john wall like and he could and he could be healthy like half of it's just can you play 
Yeah. Um, but he's at two years and 91.2 million. So have fun with that, Lakers fans. Um, <laughs> Tobias Harris, who we touched on. I was we were going back and forth whether or not I should start the small forward spot. He's making he's at three years and 115 million. But the, at the end of the day, he's a 40% three-point shooter. He's like yeah. he's overpaid, but he's a good player. If he was at three years, 90 million, he wouldn't be on the albatrosses, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, I think I think it's really like the 25 extra million he got. Shout out to his agent. That dude's the man. Yeah. Um, like that's what gets him here. And you know, you don't want to pay him that much, but he doesn't fuck up your plans if you pay him that much. Um, Andrew Wiggins, he's not a starter because he's only got two years left on his deal at two years, 65 million. I I think I'm gonna give the floor to you because I think you are a bit higher on Wiggins. What do people need to know about him? Well, I'm not super high on Wiggins, but I do think he deserves credit. Uh, for getting his defense to a level that was passable this year. Uh, it's been a huge hole in this game for a long time, and it wasn't a hole this year. Um, and you got to give him credit for, for, for that. There must have taken work, and, and it, it demonstrates at least some desire to improve, which we haven't really seen from him prior to now. So that's nice. I still think it's he, he absolutely belongs on the, uh, the Albatross bench, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic work there, Andrew. Um, get paid. <laughs> Way to get paid. All right, this next guy, I think, divides a lot of people. D'Angelo Russell at two years and $61.3 million. We Everyone should agree that the trade the Timberwolves made for him was one of the dumbest fucking trade from Golden State. It was one of the dumbest fucking trades maybe in the history of basketball. Yes, granted, granted, you know, they sent out a bad contract, but they also ended up giving up, like, two top ten picks to do it. So, Take back what, what really isn't a very good contract. Yeah. Yeah, I really don't like D'Angelo Russell. He's someone where he had a big usage rate one season and averaged 23 points. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I see him as like, he's, to me, he's like Lou Williams. You don't give Lou Williams 31 million a season. Well, man, it's funny because it makes me think of what you said about the center market, but it's actually the exact opposite. Like point guards just get paid, right? Like the, the, the fact that he's making 30 million a year and he's not even our second string uh, Albatross point guard, it only points to the fact that uh point guards get handed money like it's candy right uh you get the ball you can get stats and the point guards the guy who's supposed to have the ball right like i think it's that simple a lot of times yes man i I think that's exactly it all right the final two guys quickly gary harris he's the one of the weirdest players in the history of basketball he looked like he might end up being an all-star caliber player got a deal out of it and it has just literally gone backwards every season since. He's not even that old. Yeah, it's, it's who knows what happened to him. I hope he's got another, like, he, he figures something out because it's it's crazy. He's got one year, 20 million left on his deal. But, like, it's, mental, if you're wondering. Right? I, I, look, man, like, it, it, here, this is, this is what's so crazy. You go to his basketball reference, and all you have to really look at is, like, points per game. First season, doesn't play much, three points. Then he goes to 12 points. You're like, oh, yeah. Then he goes to 14 points or 15 points, then 17 points, right? And then he gets his deal, and it goes 13, 10, 10. Like, he was a good three-point shooter, showed an improvement, like uh, second, third, and fourth uh, years in the league, 38% three-point shooter. Since then, he's been 
33%. Like it, no one knows what happened to that dude. It's sad, but I hope he can figure it out because he's still pretty young. Yep, that's right. And obviously uh, for the fact that he's about to, the contract's about to expire, uh, he doesn't really sniff our starting lineup. I mean, when a contract's about to expire, it can also be positive value no matter how bad it is, right? So yeah, I mean, just the thing is like 20 million a year for a guy that's not an elite defensive player and averages like 10 points a game on bad three-point shooting is bad yeah like that's that's a bad deal well two two years ago he'd be a starting shooting guard right but yeah well the thing is two years ago you were thinking oh he just had one he just had one down year he'll bounce back like that's the thing with him is that like he never bounced back he declined like he's like he declined in his early mid-20s like he was a 35 year old yeah no it's quite strange (laughs) Yeah. All right. And the final guy, Eric Gordon, another Houston Rocket. He's got three years and 58 million left on his deal. There's talk about it. You know more. Well, I, I, I think the only reason that he also didn't like wave the starting lineup is that it's it's half the amount of like some of the contracts that we're talking about, right? Yes. Like it, yes. yeah, the 18 million a year. It's just like it is movable. You're probably taking on another bad contract or whatever, but it's not like it's impossible to envision them getting off his contract. Um, it just is going to cost them something. Most likely, yeah. Or, or you just wait it out, and in two years, he's he's the fourteenth man, and that's what it is, you know. Uh, but it's it's clearly a bad contract. It's 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 very much a bad contract. You yeah, know, his final year isn't fully guaranteed, which which helps uh, in in these rankings. Yeah. Um, so there's that. So it's more like two years and thirty eight million. Let me add this too, man. Uh, a lot of Rockets fans, if if you are on Rockets Twitter, which we both are for different reasons. Um, yes, I'm because I have to, and I because I want to. Uh, you'll see a lot of guys wow. saying like, <laughs> a lot of guys saying like, oh man, EG can still really ball, man. He just got hurt. Like he's gonna bounce back. Like I don't really have a ton of faith, to be completely honest. Like he, he's old. He's had a history of injury problems. So um, as someone that has I, to write about the Rockets. Someone has to write about the Rockets and write about it in a way that like makes the fans not want to shoot you, yeah. um, because they will they will get mad if you critic if you're not even criticizing if you're fair about player evaluation sometimes. Yeah, I will because I think you're right. I think Gordon is toast, but he did have like his best two point field goal percentage like in his career this past season before he got hurt. The three point shot's been really bad recently. So yeah. there's a chance where if he can hold some of those two point attempt gains and his three point shot gets kind of close to back what he's been like his career average, that all of a sudden he's a useful player. He's still going to be overpaid because he's not a great defensive player. And you, like, you can't trust his body to like play 32 minutes a night. So like, he's still an overpay, but there's a chance that like he has some value for someone. I just want to take a look at his career three point shooting rank is if, my memory serves me. It's been pretty inconsistent. It uh, was bad, and then it got good, and then it's gotten bad, I believe. It's kind of gone yeah, up and down. Yeah, it, it's not a pretty wide range throughout his career. Uh, but what I want to say, yeah, it, I mean, you know, a really wide range, really. Um, just, you know, like 32, 39, 44, 38, 35, 31, 32, you know? Um I hate his shooting form and I don't trust guys with unorthodox forms when they're inconsistent, you know, like, yes, he can get hot, but uh, I wish he'd shoot the ball like he's supposed to. I wonder if he'd, 
would shoot better. I just, I think he's done, man. I, I, I just think he's he probably, probably is. All right. Yeah. To finish up with the Albuquerque Albatross uh, roster, there's the Albatross watch. And these are a few players that our general manager, so us, will have our eyes on to see if they can stink up the joint while continuing to cash some fat checks and see if uh, they can't, you know, come join us in the desert or whatever Albuquerque is around. I think it's mountains, desert, it's New Mexico. That's pretty much all they have, right? <laughs> um, so I have Jonathan Isaac on this list. I don't like it, but he's got a pretty sizable deal, been injured, a guy relied on his athleticism. Yeah, I know, yeah. man, Isaac – breaks my heart uh in, in terms of player type like I, I really thought this kid's gonna be one of my favorite players in the league like i i love uh defensive anchors that also have offensive value but i mean the, the injuries have been so bad it, it's really hard to have much faith uh in isaac right now yeah all right so who's uh who's another guy you're looking at uh i yeah i think we forgot to include him to our master list but jared allen to me is like the new stephen adams right uh i i think this is a guy that like he can't uh protect the perimeter and he can't shoot the three and so i have a funny feeling that's gonna look like an overpay some someday soon yeah especially when you draft you know evan mobley <laughs> you ideally want to be playing center yeah. so they have yeah great of course the cavaliers doing stupid shit um so expected. another guy that should be on this watch in my mind is Jordan Clarkson. He's fresh off of six man of the year award, but he basically had a good half season and he's making over, you know, like 14, 15 million a season. He's someone very streaky. I could see the jazz trying to get off this deal and having to pay, you know, draft pick compensation to get off of it um, because he's basically had one good half of the season in his career yeah. Dude, um, I, I actually published a piece uh for the j notes today um that jordan clarkson's efficiency could be the key to their title run because all the other pieces are pretty dependable you pretty much know what you're gonna get from them uh, yeah. besides mike conley's hamstring but like he there's nothing he can do about that you know uh but clarkson well, okay, no, nothing uh nothing unambiguously ethical he can do about that but Clarkson uh you're right he's so inconsistent and unreliable and it went, he's really really skilled he's just not an exceptionally athletically gifted guy on an NBA level and guys that look to score that aren't huge or exceedingly fast or strong just tend to struggle for stretches you know yeah 100 percent all right next um, guy on the albatross watch who is it yeah, Luke Kennard, who I think we both agree in a different situation could make good on his on his contract probably, but so long as he's on the Clippers, it's really weird that they gave him that contract in the first place, and I, I don't think he's going to have much of an opportunity to live up to it. I I think there's the, what the Clippers have shown is that your front office and your coaching staff need to sign off on extensions because the front office is like, Cool. We just signed, like, we just traded for and got a 40% three-point shooter who can, like, do a little bit of playmaking. We love him. Let's give this guy an extension. And the coaching staff is like, this dude yeah. can't fucking defend, like, at an acceptable level, and he can't stay healthy, and we're the best three-point shooting team even when we don't play with him. So 
he <laughs> that's that's a play. different point too yeah they, like his one skill is is something they don't need so yeah his main skill yeah yeah so he's someone where i think if he were to go he probably could go someplace else stay healthy gets off it but you know you don't like guys with chronic knee problems who are 25 like that's a good way to become an albatross yeah Okay. Who's next on the list, my man? Chris Paul. And I know what people are thinking. How can you say that? And I'm saying, yeah, I don't know. Like anytime a guy's guaranteed 120 million to their age 40 season, I'm going to start watching the, the Albatross watch is going to come out. Cause it's like, yeah. there's a real chance that the last two years of that deal are really brutal. And I love yeah. Chris Paul. Maybe he ages like John Stockton but there's a chance that like he starts falling off and starts to fall off pretty quickly. And that's a yeah. lot of money. I, I, I don't think you can argue it. I mean, when you're talking about a guy going into his age 40, like we just have him on the watch, you know? So yeah, it, yeah you got, you got to keep, you got to keep him in mind for this exercise for sure. Yeah. No, because like, look, like, you know, John Wall and Russell Westbrook, they're coming off the books in two years and we need another point guard for the albatrosses. So hey, man, Chris, Paul. Chris, Chris Paul's on the list. Yeah. Um, right. All right. So next we got Rudy Gobert, uh, possibly in my opinion, the most controversial choice in this whole thing. Um, he's the best rim protector in the NBA. Question really is what else more is he, you know, like he's, he's the best rim protector in the NBA. He's a smart offensive player. He sets good screens. Uh, he rolls pretty effectively, but like he doesn't, provide a ton of offensive value and as we saw in the, the western conference semifinals this year he has trouble switching onto the perimeter as well so i think he deserves to be on the albatross watch as well so with gobert it's less of the reason why i put him on the albatross watch it's not anything about how good he is right now it is all about that extension carries a long time into the future and he's going to be making like 40 million by the end of it into his 30s and if you're paying a dude who's got his profile 40 million, he basically has to remain one of the three best defensive players in the league to justify that amount of money. Yeah. So if there's any slippage on defense, you know, there's a good chance that by the end of that deal, they're, you know, they're in trouble right now. It's fine. Um, but I think he's someone the next year or two, people are going to be saying, yeah, man, they really shouldn't have given that extension. And there's, I mean, he could always expand his offensive game. You know, people yep. kind of do this thing with defensive first players and they're like, they'll never get good at offense, but those really good offensive players, they can improve their defense. That's not hard. That's just that effort. I'm like, so I'm like, no, man, like improving on either end is difficult, um, but these guys can do it. So, you know, Gobert, awesome. yeah. Yeah. So Gobert improves his offense, you know, it eases the pressure on his defensive decline. And he is once again, like he is the best at the most important defensive skill, which like we cannot understate the value of yeah. but if he's not the best in making 40 million then come on over to the the albatross is rudy <laughs> all right um, the final man on the albatross watch yeah we got uh christas porzingis coming in here uh i think we both agree that primarily the issue here is that his body is failing him but yeah. it is it is concerning for a seven foot three guy whose body's already failing him. Like the, the track record of, of players that size rounding back into shape is not great. So that's why he looks like a potential albatross. This is a big year for, for the guy, man, in my opinion. Like if he can 
play 65 plus games and be effective and carry it into the playoffs, then it's a comeback. But if, if, if he can't do those things, then he's probably officially an albatross. Yeah, I, I, I believe in him because I just think that like the guy hasn't had an offseason in two years. This is the first offseason he's had chance to like really because like, people forget that like professional athletes can't like work on their body in season. They have to like main, they have to be like fresh to like work on your body. You have to like get sore and like push yourself in the gym and you can't train like that in season, especially yeah. in a condensed one. So I'm thinking he's going to come back. You know, guys add moves in the off season. They rarely add them in season. So I think he's going to have an off season the first time in two years and be a lot better than people expected. And we'll put all this to bed. But if he doesn't, the thing is biggest issue people have in sports and when it comes to GMs or takes or whatever, someone that you really liked early on, it's really hard to move off of them. I've always liked Porzingis, but if he can't come back with, you know, an off season, can't keep making excuses for him. Yeah. Um, Uh, He reminds me so much of Yao Ming where it's like, he showed some promise that made you feel like this guy can really like, like at that size, he can just dominate the NBA if he wants. But then it's like when the body starts failing, it starts feeling like, okay, it's it's practically impossible to, to be that, you know, like like to be that size and that agile and not have your knees fail you way too quickly. So we'll see. Yeah, no, I mean, I also, the thing with Yao Ming, Yao Ming was like a durable as fuck for like his first like four or five years in the league. Yeah. And then all and of a sudden it play. happened. Porzingis hasn't been durable at any That's point. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. Which is a scary part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So be careful when you shake them up, 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 shake them up. Um, yeah, I, 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 I kind of want to go get some food, man. Are we, we... Oh, yeah. No, we're definitely good. We're definitely good. I'll keep the I kind of want to go get some food in. Um, all right. That <laughs> yeah, concludes uh, episode 10 of From Downtown. Uh, this one was long. We'll see uh, what makes the f- makes it on the cutting board. We might use some for another episode. But mm-hmm. uh, James, as always, thank you. And thank you, to the listeners, we have a Twitter account now. It's uh, from da- at from downtown. Um, but the from it's at from downtown pod, and there's no O's in the from down and town but there is for the pod so it's like you know like from like f r m d w n t w n p o d so at that if you were following do that thank you Dude, uh, uh, it's, it's it's without the uh consonants right feel free to edit this no so it's without the vowels it's from down values except yeah the but it's yeah without yeah. the vowels but the pod pod does does still keep the it's it's vowel. yeah that's right yeah. yes also if you won't have any questions uh you want to sponsor us which i doubt anyone listening has the ability to do it but if you have any questions you want us to answer them you feel free to email us at from downtown pod at gmail.com we would love to hear any of your thoughts. And as long as, you know, you don't, you know, call us a Nazi sympathizing, 9-11 denying, whatever, um, <laughs> we'll probably uh, we'll probably put it on. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Like, subscribe. And James, James needs some food. I saw that cat in the background. That looked tasty. 
<laughs> consider an edit job on that one but uh yeah man we'll we'll, we'll talk next week <laughs> all right sounds good have a good one all right see